0: Heavenly Father, I thank you for that passage of Scripture. I thank you for its preservation, and I thank you for this moment right now. And I ask God for your blessing of your spirit as it guides us through this passage. And into our hearts as well, Lord, may we be challenged deeply. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So I particularly love this passage of Scripture, and if you happen to be listening to this podcast uh, or watching this podcast, you're thinking to yourself, what passage of Scripture? Because you've only joined it right now at this sermon, right? So I'm going to encourage you just to kind of pause it for a second, listen to, and go read Joshua 24, 1-15. But for us here, you've just heard it, right? And you know exactly where we are, and you're thinking to yourself, My goodness, he's going to cover not only this passage, but he's going to cover the whole book of Joshua in one sermon. Is that possible? Can he speak any faster? Yes, he can. Yes, he can. Uh, No, it's true, it's true. I actually can speak a little bit faster than I have normally spoken before, and I'm going to try and do this to make sure I can do this. So in order to do this, I have a couple of copies of my manuscript so that you can keep up with me. And uh, yeah, I'm serious, it's right here. And so if you need a copy of the manuscript, just put your hand up and uh, you can then follow along and you can just kind of read, speed read, uh, as we're going through here. Um, there are a couple of hands that would like one uh, right there. So that's great. Uh, let me tell you this though, if you were to forget everything that I say today, which is, a, a, there is a probability, um, that some of you may forget what I say today. Uh, and I don't want you, to, you know, to forget everything I say, but if you were to forget everything I say, if you were to be derailed at some point, if you were to fall off the horse that you were circling the mountain and you would forget everything I said, I want you to remember this. We need Jesus. That's it, all right? Uh, so if you were leaving here and you're like, what did javed say? What was that message about the whole book of Joshua? Simple. We need Jesus. Of course, uh, that you will not, I'm worried, of course, that you not be ashamed to admit this, that you don't see this as a sign or strength or weakness, but that you make a decision to follow him. That like Joshua of old, you will declare, as Doris read so well, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what I really hope that you would actually agree to. Now, to reach this point, You have a number of hurdles, a number of bridges to cross, and you're probably asking yourself, uh, I know that some of you are, you're singing, why today, right? Why today do I have to select and agree to serve the Lord? I mean, what about next week? I mean, it's Christmas, right? Next week we could do this. What if I take some time to reflect on this over Thanksgiving, you know, when I'm in that food coma? that's when I should think about whether I should follow Jesus. Or Christmas time, I'm going to have a lot of free time. Or maybe 2018 or or 2019, that would be a great time that I could reflect on whether I should follow Jesus and commit and say, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Well, I think it's because we have this tendency maybe that the future is much easier to be able to embrace this. And so we try to delay things, and we try to look forward to things, and we say, I will do this in the future at some time. It's, it's always in the future when we'll address this. And Thanksgiving has this kind of effect over us as well. Uh, I'm gonna say a sentence, I'm gonna share a sentence, a statement, and I'm gonna see if you agree with this statement, right? Here's the statement. We are all looking forward to Thanksgiving. Oh my goodness, all right, all right, clearly two people are looking forward to Thanksgiving. All right, let me, let me try and stretch that a little bit more for the how uh, of the use who all need counseling. Nearly, nearly all of us are looking forward to Thanksgiving. Oh, all right, nearly all of you are looking forward to Thanksgiving. Good, good. All right, how about this statement? 41 million turkeys are looking forward to Thanksgiving. I yeah, kind of agree to that. All right. Well, I found this really interesting piece uh, in the Huffington Post the, uh, the other day, uh, just uh, this last week. And I've inserted it inside um, the Daily Walk for Thursday morning uh, in the Daily Walk. So when you get to Thursday morning of the, of the Daily Walk, you will see this particular Huffington uh, piece article. It's called, Psychologists Explain How to Deal with the Nightmare that is Thanksgiving Dinner. Do you like that? I've got this uh, kind of like popping thing going on here. I'm just gonna try and adjust my headset so that it stops popping uh, a little bit. They outline, and it's a great article. You need to read the whole article. They outline eight different areas, right? Of how to avoid the nightmare of Thanksgiving dinner, which of course you guys never experienced. But number six, number six, toxic family dynamics. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Number eight, the pressure to please everyone. Oh, I know you've never experienced that, all right. Kind of tragic, isn't it? Yet that we even avoid gathering together because we've not addressed the elephant or the elephants, as the case may be, in the room. The problem is this, that you simply deciding to deal with it is not going to ever solve it. You see that? You simply deciding to deal with it is not going to ever solve it. You're saying, what? Hold on a thought here. This is a very difficult statement, that you simply decide to deal with it, it's never gonna solve it. I want you to hold that sentence in your brain, because we're gonna come back to that, because I know that sometimes in your life, you think to yourself, you get up in the morning, and say, I'm gonna solve this problem, and I'm telling you, that's not good enough. Now, why did we choose this text today? Why do I hope that you will make a decision today And what has this got to do with the entire Grow series that we're in the middle? So I'm going to just do a quick recap here. We're in the final week of our Grow series that we've been preaching here for the last three weeks here. Pastor Jessica introduced the first week and the second week, and this is the third week where we kind of capped this off. And she introduced the metaphor using the tree. And you may have seen this tree metaphor here, where she talked about how we are this tree where we are developing through all the different branches of life. And so each branch represents a different phase of our life. And as we're going through each of these branches of these different phases here, we actually are able to understand who we are as we grow from this younger age all the way through this tree. And if you want to know what each of these phases are, you can actually download our app, and read the description. Isn't that good? You just have to go onto your phone and look into your Android devices after you restarted a few times. And, and, uh, and search for Boulder Church. Look at your iPhone and just search for Boulder Church. Actually, you'll intuitively just search for Boulder Church. You'll just say, I think you want this app. That's what Apple does for you. And, so, and you look for Boulder Church and you'll find the description site there. The very first one, Zero Three Three, Live Wonder. Uh, for our little three-year-olds, our little two-year-olds inside this, all that God has for you to see. And really, the focus is really quite simple. You need to help your children. You need to help your children to say, give thanks to God for everything that they see. They're just in awe of life. And allow them to inspire you When you hold your baby and you look at your baby, you're like, my goodness, they are inspiring and they inspire you and you can give thanks to God as well. Teach them that everything that they see, the beautiful side of things, is beautiful because of Jesus. Four to 12, living adventure, they discover everything. Focus on engaging Jesus with questions all the time. Don't expect to find all the answers, all right? Find the answers with them, look at them and try to encourage them to ask all these hard questions. Teach them that Jesus enjoys discovery. That's what they're doing. They're in this stage of adventure. 13 to 17, living purpose. You've got to work on their identity. And you've got to stretch yourself as well. You've got to focus on their call to follow Jesus. Why does it matter to follow Jesus and what a 13 to 17-year-old is going to be asking all the time? And you have to teach them that Jesus is with them as they ask the hardest questions of their life. There's this really great metaphor that, that God is with you like in a blue sky rather than a blueprint. In other words, God doesn't say that you have only one path to go in your life as a blueprint. He says he's in with you like a blue sky where, wherever you go, he's with you. And this is what they're going through as they're living their purpose. 18 to 24, living intention. You're honing in on your gifts. Focus on the life and apply it to your life. You're an adult now. Now you need to learn to serve others. This is very difficult because everybody's been serving you your entire life. Now you actually have to serve others. Teach them to be more about intent rather than content inside here. And 25 to 34, live creative. You've got to apply those gifts to be creative, to live a life that's just actually transforming them. They are daughters and sons of Jesus Christ. Make their dreams become reality. Teach them that they are to change the world and they are to lead it. But today... We're looking at the final two branches, 35 to 54, live courage, and 55, live wise. And I am 45, smack bang in the middle of live courage. I really am. I, I, I kind of feel the heavy responsibility of life. My, my wife, obviously, uh, is, is actually one year older than me, so I'll let you work out how old she is. Um, happens to be her birthday today. Ah, so that's, uh, that's why she's exactly one year older than me. Uh, so I had to share that. Uh, otherwise, I would have kept that a secret. I wouldn't share that she's 46. Uh, just in case you couldn't work out what 45 plus one was. Mm-hmm. I know some of you are like, give me my calculator. <laughs> I know, I know, but happy birthday. Uh, I, know, I know you're kind of shocked that I look 45. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And you feel, and I feel, this heavy responsibility of life. It never switches off for my vocation, for my community, for my kids, for my parents. Even though they're independent and strong, I feel the responsibility, which often translates into my faith life as well. And we desire it to be stronger. But someday soon, we have to have those end-of-life conversations. And no one wants to have those end-of-life conversations, those very difficult, tough questions. Those who live in the 55-plus in their phase of life, they have, what, one to three decades left in contribution of their vocation, right? Because retirement was something we invented to push the older people out of the way. It's true. It's true. Not out of respect. No, our society is so poor in the way we handle people. We give very little respect to the young people and we give very little respect to the older people in the church and in life. But God has called us all at every age of our life to live a life with him and to experience it with him. We cannot retire from God. Billy Graham was very famous for saying this. He said, name me someone in the Bible who retired. The gifts and call of God never ends. So how can I become a master player and a world changer? How can I be a healing presence of Christ in the world? Retirement is so final. What are you gonna do? I'm gonna gonna retire. And what are you gonna do to your retirement? I'm gonna retire so I can actually go do the things that I was never allowed to do when I was working, which is to enjoy life. What a miserable life that you lived. 65, 75 years doing things that you were not allowed to do so you could live the last, what, three years of your life doing things that you were not allowed to do? What a horrible model that we have created in the society that we say, fun begins when you stop working, right? I am not looking forward to retirement as my, that's when it's gonna begin. Oh, I can't wait till the day I retire. That's when I'm gonna have fun. Life is not simply from the womb to the tomb. It is much, much more than this, and I want us to understand this. So, take out your worship guides, and if you haven't got a worship guide, one of the elders or deacons will give them to you. So, if you came in, you snuck in a little bit late, I saw a few people sneaking in there, but uh, if you came in and you haven't got one, just put your hand up and they'll, they'll give you one of these, it's great. Um, and uh, in the worship guide, you'll see that the very first question is this, what has to happen for you to need Jesus? What has to happen for you to need Jesus? Joshua decided he needed Jesus when he was young, but he didn't really settle this until the end of his life. And that's why I asked you this week, as we studied the daily walk, to read as much of the book of Joshua as quickly as possible, just to kind of get the kind of duplo effect, the kind of broad picture of this. But I'm going to give you the background really quickly here. Joshua came out of Egypt with Moses. He was a young man. He became one of Moses' right-hand assistants. He, along with Caleb and the 10 other spies, 12 of them, went into the promised land at the very beginning and said, we can take the promised land. The other 10 guys said, uh, it's, it's going to be hard work. And so they were like the ones who said yes. They got voted down. It was no go. He was the one who Moses eventually says, I'm going to pass the baton on. So we get to Joshua, the first four chapters, chapters 1 to 4. 40 years are going to pass by. The entire generation... Who said no to go into the promised land out of slavery, they die. The entire generation goes away. The ones who don't want any change and don't want anything to go, they want to go back to the days of slavery with Egypt, they go and they're gone. They died. Moses has died. Joshua's in charge. Jesus knows that he's scared. Moses was scared too when he took on leadership. And so, he says to him, I'm going to give you some good words of encouragement. Let's begin in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. So, if you have your Bibles, and the Pew Bibles, you can just pull them out. It's page 198. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Page 198 in your Pew Bibles. And I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, which is the same as your Pew Bibles. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Knowing that this guy is scared, knowing, remembering that Moses was scared as well, uh, giving him these great words through the entire chapter here, he ends on these epic verse of of chapter 1, verse 9 here. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Remember? not a blueprint, blue sky. Wherever you go, the Lord your God is with you. Just be strong and be courageous. Joshua steps up. He calls all the people together. He calls all the commanders, and he says to them, are you with me? All right? And he's like, come on. God said he's with me. Are you with me? And look at their response. Just follow with me on this chapter. Chapter one, go down to verse 16, and it says there, then they answer Joshua all that you have commanded us, we will do wherever you send us, we will go just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you, only may the Lord your God be with you as He was with Moses. I'm like seriously, everywhere Moses uh said we did, we never we never bickered, we never argued with Moses, we never said, Take us back well. Maybe, maybe their parents did, right? Maybe this is the new generation. They're the, they're the kind of the cool ones. They're the ones who are like, with it. They're the ones who are like, yeah, whatever you say, man, we're with you. We're going to follow you all the way. I don't know. This is what they're saying right now. We'll have to see if they actually really do this inside here. But Josh is kind of excited about this, and he decides to go ahead with this. So as he does, he continues on the journey, and he sends two spies now to go to Jericho to scout it out. These two spies end up inside a house of ill repute. Just for the record, Joshua did not say, go to Jericho and find a prostitute and spend time exploring the city with her. God did not say, go to Jericho, find a prostitute, and explore the city. They, on their own initiative, they did that. I, it was just... They're a very, very, very proactive uh, initiative. I mean, thinking forward, very, very, very uh, innovative. Very innovative. That's where they ended up. Uh, I just want you to know that that's what happened, and the Bible doesn't say that Joshua sent them there, okay? Now, a side note here. They go see Rahab, and there's another character introduced called Achan. And it's very important because these two characters are pitched uh, against each other and they're contrasted against each other. So you're going to see a Rahab and an Achan. And this is just a side note, so it's kind of like a, a bonus. So you imagine there's a sermon going on over here, where David's talking to you, and over here it's a bonus. Like it's thrown in for free. And you're like, it's I've got two sermons for the price of one. And you're like, get away! I accept! So here's a side note. Achan and Rahab, the gospel... People often think the gospel is only taught in the second testament. Gospel is taught in the first testament as well. Rahab represents those who are the outsiders, those who are not committed to God, those who actually are the enemy. Achan, on the other hand, he represents the insiders, those who are the family God, those who are actually connected to God. And what happens is that there's a trade-off because Rahab says, "I, a Canaanite, want to accept God," and God says, "Welcome to the kingdom." you're in the family. And Achan, on the other hand, he says, I, inside the kingdom of God, I want to reject God, and I'm going to cause damage to others, the loved ones all around me, and the implications are going to hurt people all around me. And God says, I give you up, man. You got a choice. You move away. And so God shows that the gospel, there's a choice all the time, but anybody can join. And this is a really important thing that Israel, when they went through conquering the lands all the way through, it wasn't like they came in and said, you just move out the way, we're going to kill you all. They were trying to bring in as many as they could, even through the book of Joshua inside here. But back to Joshua. So that was just free, I know, no charge. Uh, Back to Joshua. He has, with the power of Jesus, he takes millions of Israelites through into the promised land. Now chapters 5 to 10. You start to gather that there are some deep similarities between Joshua and Moses because he is really close to Moses, right? And Moses died, and he just wants to know that God is with him. And as you're starting to see this, Jesus knows that Joshua's young. He's going to get to the point where he lives this life of courage, and he's going to become a person who lives wise, but he's not there yet. So Jesus gives him a whole series of these incredible moments. And these are the moments that we get to have in our lives. If you think about your own life, who made you, who you are at this very moment, is a culmination of all of these snapshots of your life. So he talks to God directly as God talked with Moses. He parts the sea as he did with Moses. He asks him to circumcise all the men as he did with Moses. He tells Joshua to take his shoes off because it's holy land, as he did with Moses. He supports him in a battle, a crazy battle, as he did with Moses. He makes miracles take place as he did with Moses. Yet, there are moments where Joshua has these lapses of judgment. There are moments when he does not feel that he needs Jesus Christ. When he goes his own way, When he's uh, tricked, when he's embarrassed, and he kind of uh, has to admit in front of his leaders that uh, he got tricked by his enemy, Uh, when he loses out, when he orders these crazy acts of brutality, notice that he orders these crazy acts of brutality, and in that road of recovery for him, he's always coming back to God because God is always saying to him, the door is open, you can come back and I will recognize you inside here, the power is in Jesus. And when Joshua starts to accept that the power is in Jesus, he's a better person. So question number two in your worship guide is this. Who do you need more in your life? Who do you need more in your life? Anybody ever heard of Henry Cloud? Henry Cloud. Anybody ever raised your arm in church? Just checking. I'm like, seriously, all right, this is good. Now let's try this again. Anybody ever heard of Henry Cloud? Much better, all right, all right. (laughs) Henry Cloud is an expert leader, psychologist. Uh, he is a New York Times bestseller author. Over 10 million copies of his books have been sold. And so I know, as I saw now by your hands being raised, that some of you read his works. And maybe you've read his, one of his most recent books called The Power of the Other. I've mentioned this in the Daily Walk a few weeks ago, and I've also mentioned this to a few different friends as well. Great insights into life. The power of the other. Gratitude for all those who've influenced you. And it's no kidding, right? I mean, everybody knows that we are who we are because of great people who have shaped us. We know, for instance, that babies, you can feed a baby and you can give them all the food that they need. But if they have no real connection no real physical connection that's love loving connection, they will suffer from this. And you've seen this in orphanages from war-torn countries where babies are left uncared for, and the devastating effects on this, creating the syndrome called failure to thrive, right? Because they haven't been held. Somebody hasn't connected with them. We know that elderly people who suffer from heart attacks or from strokes their chances of having that happen a second time or their chances of recovery are much better if they belong to a support group, if they belong to a life group. Hence, we try to encourage you to belong to a life group as early as possible in your life because a life group builds community in your life. They even say that you could eat horrible food. You could be eating wheat every day. I mean, it's just horrible, horrible. Pizza, pasta. I mean, you could just be eating wheat every single day, and it doesn't matter if you belong to a life group because if you're in community, you actually can live a good life still. Henry Cloud shares uh, that after a few years of college, this is early in his life, uh, he was studying finance uh, and and accounting, and then he decided to switch to psychology. And he loved psychology. Uh, He was studying all the theories, trying to understand how people grow and how they change. But then after a while, after studying this for a long period, he said, I just, I got this itch. I thought, I need to go back to accounting and finance. And law. I miss, I miss that. The psychology was good, but I, I need to go back until that single class, that single moment. And maybe you've had that same kind of epiphany. When a professor was explaining that there was one ultimate factor above all the theories that cause change in your patients to happen. And he was, his, it was peaked, his interest was peaked. There was one ultimate factor above all theories that caused change in your patients to happen. He's like, what is the ultimate factor? So I, I'm actually going to read you the quote. Henry said this, he said, I sat eagerly waiting to find out the secret of helping people. Here at last, I would learn the esoteric kernel of wisdom that I've been seeking all of this time. The professor looked at us and said, it's the relationship. What actually brings about change in people? And the cure is the relationship between the psychologist and the client, he explained. What, I thought to myself, that's it? That's all there is? That's what I gave up finance and law school for? To be a renter friend? Sure enough, uh, it's true, he said, that it is it's, it's about a relationship, but it's about getting to the next level, right? It's about the right kind of relationship. I, I sometimes, I, I sit down with people and I have conversations with them, um, and I, I want to say something. but but it's not the right time to say something. Sometimes I have to wait weeks or months or years before I can actually speak something into their life. And sometimes they've done the same for me. They've waited months, weeks, years, whatever length of time before they can speak truth into my life as well. It's about the relationship, the kind of relationship we have. This is where Daniel Siegel, Daniel Siegel's a professor at UCLA, and he's a leading neurobiologist. He helps us out with this to help us understand the dynamics of how this all comes together. Now, if you have grown up in the Seventh-day Adventist church, uh, you're going to get very excited right now. You're like, oh, it's like, I'm, it's like you're going to get kind of like, pick me, pick me. You know, it's going to be like kind of one of these moments where you're like, I can't believe this is happening. It's like Christmas was really early. Okay, and that's just steady. I'm going, to, I'm going to unreveal this slowly to you, and you're going to leave his so giddy, because like, I know the answer, and I didn't have to study. It was like, it's just a dream came true. All right, so, but if you're not Seventh-day Adventist, and you haven't grown up in the church, you're like, I don't even know why that was actually fun. All right, so <laughs> this uh, leading psychologist, Daniel Siegel, and, uh, at UCLA, he worked out that there are three things Three things, three areas, that if you work through these three areas here, uh, you're, you actually will be able to be more successful uh, through these three areas. The first one is uh, physical, uh-huh. So if you are very good and you work through your physical areas, uh, you are, you're good. What do you think uh, would be the second one? Sorry, what was that? You guys are so good. That was such a, a uniform answer. I felt like it was like one person was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna say mental." Okay, yes, physical, mental was the next one. Well done, well done. Yes, physical, mental. What would be the third one? Uh, well, let's see. Oh, see, you're wrong. <laughs> I know. Now you got it. Yeah, he said relational. I know. So close, yet yeah, so far. Uh, this is just a private in-house joke. So Adventists have been saying for years, for 150 years, that it is physical, mental, and spiritual. But this guy said it's actually physical, mental, and relational. Physical, mental, relational. We've been saying it's actually physical, mental, and spiritual. Um, wait a second. We've been saying that for 150 years. No, I think, I think the Bible's been saying it for 2,000, no, 3,000. Thousands of years. I think they've been saying it. God's been saying it for eternity. He said, he said something about love God with all your heart and love humanity with all your heart. That's what the whole Bible kind of rests on. Live love. Hmm. Yeah. Relationships are the core of our lives. We call it spiritual. But when we mean by spiritual, what we mean by spiritual is that our relationship to God and each other makes the difference. So this neurobiologist from UCLA worked out that if you get your physical, your mental, and your relationship, but he doesn't really want to have to say, God, he just wants to talk about us on this level here. We're saying, yes, this is important, but you also need this as well. You need to be connected here together, but you need to be connected with God as well. If you get this together, man, it's amazing who we could be. Well, you just can't have a superficial relationship. I know we'd rather have a superficial relationship, right? A a kind of a a shallow chat once a week, attend church once a week, open your Bible once a week, open your Bible maybe once a week. But that's not the right kind of relationship that Joshua had that we need to have. And there are many factors in your life, I know, that you can imagine that will help you do this. So if you allowed relationships to take a major role in your life, if you allowed them to take a major role in your life, you would be different people. If you allowed Jesus to be part of your life, you would be a different person. Now, Henry Cloud then suggests that uh, you can just be very practical with this. Let's say, let's just say, for the Live Courage and Live Wise group, and maybe for you guys who are younger as well, if you wanted to live longer, right, you could focus on calories, exercise, or you could focus on connecting yourself with people around you who have shared values, Right? If you wanted to build a really great business, you could focus on execution and tasks, or you could focus on building a healthy culture. If you wanted to close that sale, that deal, you could focus on the rational logic, or you could focus on the shared values you have with that person. And then he goes one step further, and he says that, in fact, all of our relationships fit into four corners. Four corners. And these are the four corners. I don't know. Did we put them on all four on one screen? Or I don't know if we did that. But here are the four corners. They are. And and this is question number three, by the way, inside your worship goal. Which corner are you moving towards? So here is the four corners. Disconnected. No connection. Corner number two, which is the bad connection. Corner number three, the pseudo connection. And corner number four, the true connection. So here's the thing. Corner number one, disconnected, no connection. This is really common. This is where you are just like, a, you just go full speed. And I have met people like this. They are deeply lonely. They live on the edge all the time. They're trying to control everything all the time. They cannot let anything flow by. They don't miss anything. They are disconnected from everything. This is how they live all of their relationships. And it's very easy to be in corner number one. The bad connection, this is where you're surrounded by somebody who's constantly just chipping away at you. You may have a boss that does this, you may have colleagues that does this, you may have a partner that does this in your life, you may have children that do this to you, you may have somebody around you who's constantly just, they're, they're the relationships that you have, but they just, they criticize you all the time. You can never do enough. I worked for a person once who, no matter what I did, no matter what I did, no, and however Ahead I was of the game, no matter how far ahead I was on it, it was never good enough. There was always like, wait, I know you're you're like, you're over here, 16 years ahead, but you could have been in year 17. I'm like, you're right, I should have been in year 17. Fail, run back. And, And then you live in this kind of like horrible tension all the time inside there. That's a bad connection. The pseudo connection, this is quantum number three where you're just like living in this surreal pretend world. You have these people around you who just say, you're perfect, everything you do is fine. They never tell you you've done anything wrong. They're constantly like, yeah, I know you just hit that car, but the car deserved it. I know, I know, it's just horrible. They should have never stopped. (laughs) They should have just kept on going. Yeah, I know, it's never your fault, right? And so you're just constantly affirmed all the time. So you're living in this kind of like bubble all the time. You never handle anything that's negative. So the fourth corner is the corner we should all be aiming for. And this is a true connection. And this is a hard connection. Henry Cloud shares this uh, great story in his book about a guy called Liam. Liam insists that he has to fly out to meet Henry. Flies out to L.A., sits down, spends an entire day with him. Liam is at the height of his career as a surgeon. He's doing really, really well. He's appreciated by everybody, but something horrible has happened. As the story unfolds, he says that his wife is moving out, all his investors are pulling out, Uh, the hospital wants to relieve him of his contract, uh, and his four kids are devastated and broken about their father because Liam has been having extramarital affairs nonstop with his patients, with the nurses, with staff. I mean, just the list goes on and on and on for years. And it's just its a horrible mess. Trust has been broken. So Liam's sitting down. And he's confessing all of this to Henry. And Henry is sharing the story saying, I'm just listening to this, and I'm just I'm horrified by the pain that's going through. And then Liam says, I've got a plan to, to kind of address this. Uh, and he starts to explain this and what he's going to do and how he's going to make amends. It's gonna repair bridges. And his wife said to him, I like that. Maybe, maybe I'll move home. He says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend more time with you. I'm I'm gonna be invested. I'm gonna come home and be engaged in your life. And you know, I I come from a broken home and and I got these issues and I and I'm gonna address all this kind of stuff. And Henry tells him, "I, I need to tell you that you need to go to corner four and that everything you said so far is not gonna work. Now you remember what I said right at the beginning of the sermon? The problem is this, you simply deciding to deal with this is not going to be ever enough to solve it. You deciding to deal with this is not going to be enough to solve it. You can't wake up in the morning and simply decide to fix your life. You have to get to the root. You have to get deep inside and understand what the psychologists are saying have discovered and selling millions of books and doing this, which the Bible, by the way, has been saying for a long, long time. You have to admit that you need help from someone else. You have to admit that you have a weakness, and you have to admit that you need someone else who can help you. It's really hard, because we grow up in a world where we are told that if you just, just follow your dreams and just do what you can do and work hard at what you do, you can do it. And what? The Bible's saying and what the psychology is saying and what everybody's saying, is that if you can actually have the courage to admit that you need help, you'd be a greater person. Richard Branson, you guys know who Richard Branson is? Good, good. Thank you. Such a responsive group. I appreciate you three. Richard Branson said that David Beers, who was a friend of uh, Beavers, who was a friend of his parents, spent one evening, one evening a week teaching him accounting and finance when he was a young man a young boy. He said if this guy had not invested at the request of his parents into his life teaching him as a kid finance and accounting he wouldn't be the man he was. Henry Ford had Thomas Edison, Mark Zuckerberg had Steve Jobs, Bill Gates had Warren Buffett and Ed Roberts. You know Steve Jobs when he was in the 8th grade when he was in the 8th grade he opened up the uh, the um, book with all the telephone numbers what's that book called the phone book. <laughs> I know, I haven't held one in a long time. I was like, it's Google, go back, go back. All right, phone book, there you got it. Uh, He opened up the phone book when he was in eighth grade and looked up Bill Hewitt, who is the guy CEO of HP, found his home number, called him, and said, I want to build a high frequency machine counter and I have no parts. And Bill said, I'll send you some parts. And then he said, I want to hire you this summer to come and work. And that is how he connected with Steve Jobs and began Steve Jobs on his journey. Isn't that crazy? This is the, the we are stand on the giants of, shoulder I mean, on the shoulders of giants today. We are better humans because we admit that we have learned from others. So our final question, our final question then. Question number four. Why is the struggle so real? <laughs> As you read the final chapters of Joshua, it records that Joshua died at 110 years old, when he, in Joshua chapter 24, verse 29. But here's the thing, this is very, very different to our brother Moses, all right? Everything's been very similar, right? But this is very different to our brother Moses. And this is gonna be kind of awkward, but I'm gonna just explain to you. When Moses came to the end of his life, the Bible records in Deuteronomy 34, a very different ending. And I need you to turn with me, so turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 34, page 197. Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse 7 says there, Moses was 120 years old when he died. And my Bible says his eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. The King James Version says, nor had his natural force nor was his natural force unabated. It's The Hebrew word is leho. Uh, the Jewish uh, publication society has a commentary on this and actually says that Moses had not become wrinkled. Um, you understand what I'm saying? It's a euphemism. Got it. Alright. Moses was still able to become a father. This is the key. Alright. Joshua was no, ab- no longer able to but Moses was, yet he died. The struggle is real, all right? The case of Moses is that Jesus said, my brother, you have served well, and the people are ready to enter the promised land, but you will not be the one to take them in. But you will lead them here, and I have something else for you to do. We will call it the Mount of Transfiguration. One day, you will understand. Time to pass the baton on, and in this case, Joshua will do it. But Joshua... You, you have served well. Thank you now, and rest in peace. If you have life, you have something to do. Okay, if you are alive, you have something to do. The struggle is real. So we come back to our text that Dorothy read for us right at the beginning, Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. 1 to 15. And as we read through here, you read through this chapter 24, 2 to 3. I'm just going to just highlight this. And Joshua said uh, in page 220, just turn over to Joshua 24 to the last two verses here of 24. It says, and Joshua said to all the people... Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, of Nahor, they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led them all the land of Canaan, and I gave Isaac. And it continues all through the chapter. I don't know if you picked up this rhythm. Verse 4 says, I gave. Verse 5 says, I sent. Verse 6 says, I brought. Verse 7 says, I did. You sense a pattern here. God is saying, I am the one who has done all of this for you. I am the one who sees you, and I am the one who creates you, and I am the one who's helping you all the time. I am the one who's blessing you. So let's be honest here. Jesus says there are great examples, difficult examples inside here, and there are hard examples inside here, but the struggle is real. Your natural desire is not to follow Jesus, okay? Your natural desire is to not to rely on anyone else. Your natural desire is not to trust people, your natural desire is actually to deceive. And the Bible is rich of examples that are overwhelming at times. If you wanted to write a book to convince people, right, that the resurrection, for instance, was real, why would you write inside here, Matthew 28? It says, and then some of them doubted after they saw Jesus that the resurrection was real. Why would you write that? Because they have nothing to hide. They're not ashamed of the gospel. They're not ashamed of what took place. They're totally honest and open about it because they know it's real. We, and this is crazy, we're open to mentors today. We're open to brothers and sisters. We're open to partners. We're open to counselors. We pay so much money. We're open to psychologists and we're open to teachers. We're open to gurus and spiritual gurus. We're open to spiritual podcasts and spiritual books. But God forbid you ever open your Bible and study about Jesus. Oh my goodness. That'd be horrible. The struggle's real, isn't it? I mean, we love to talk about our opinions. We can sit around a coffee and talk until the cows come home. And I don't even like cows until they're dead on my table. We love to talk about church politics. We love to engage in philosophy. We love to talk about a good cause. But God forbid you ever open this book, ever open this book and talk about it and study this book. Because if you ever did, oh my goodness, you'd actually have to know about Jesus. Oh my goodness, the struggle is real. It amazes me how many people will be willing to talk about God, but don't ever want to study about God. Because they know everything. They know everything without opening this book. Because to open this book means that you'll actually have to admit that you need God. So maybe the final two branches of our life to live courage and live wise exists for us to slow down enough to open the Bible and seek Jesus Christ. Maybe our legacy is not what we leave behind, but actually what we decide to do today That's kind of scary, right? Because we would rather, rather spend all the time dialoguing, right? We'd rather spend all the time dialoguing than actually engaging in a conversation about this book and about this text. So here's the challenge. I'm gonna ask you to take out your Connect cards, and that's very difficult. Because when you take out your Connect cards, that means that you actually have to admit one thing, that I need to consider the Word of God. I'm going to ask you to take out your connect cards and the pens. I'm going to ask you to think about actually filling them in and placing them in one of those offering altars around this church here. I'm going to ask you to think about saying, I actually am willing to open this book and study this book. Not to study this book because I want to learn how to change the engine oil in my car. Not because this book's going to teach me whether to find out, should I marry Tom or Sue or Bob or whatever, because I actually want to know the character of God. And I want willing to actually spend the time to do this. And by the way, you're not going to discover it overnight. Jesus spent 30 years, 30 years preparing himself before he came and did his ministry, all right? 30 years. Take your time. We'll do this together. But I want you to think about this, because God, through Joshua when he got to the end of his life thought, what should be the thing that I would leave behind? And this is what he says in Joshua chapter 24. Now therefore, fear the Lord, and notice this, seven times he's gonna say this, and serve him in sincerity. Put away the gods and your fathers that served before the river and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, Choose this day whom you will serve with the gods. The father served in the region before the river, the gods of the Amorites, but for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Seven times he's bringing this up because he's telling you there is nothing in this world greater than getting to the point where you actually are willing to serve God. Now he started when he was young and thought he's going to go for it. But he was an old man before he's able to articulate it. I wish that we didn't have to be old and near our deathbed before we articulated this. man, I wish, I wish we kind of grabbed it when we were young. I really do. I wish I had the energy when I was like 19 and understood what I understand today. So if you want to kind of grab this, don't do it by yourself. Have the brave heart and the courage to admit that you need it too just like I did and like I do still to this day and be willing to say I want to know more and we'll together not just you and I but we'll together we'll learn more about this and you will discover who this Jesus Christ really is